Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 20th January 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, the best of JP Morgan, Novartis on its US first commercial plan, Chew Guy's CEO talks to us on the Roche Alliance and more, Scripp asks what this year holds for pricing and reimbursement, and the outlook for biopharma funding. In a roundup from the JPM meeting, the Script team looks at some of the key events and notable quotes from the San Francisco conference. Valuations are low, and there is a lot of scepticism from investors. Longtime biopharma veteran and Via Biotechnology CEO George Skangos said in an interview. Right now, it's not a very good time for the industry, but I think there is some energy here at this conference. There is some enthusiasm we've seen, so maybe that will start to change. PwC, US Pharma and Life Science leader Glenn Hunzinger on if we will see M&A between two big players. Whether or not there is a broader transact to transform, it's possible, he said. There's a 50-50 chance there will be a large monster deal. Sanofi's CEO Paul Hudson on not being under pressure to do M&A because Sanofi doesn't face a big patent cliff, unlike many rivals. We don't have a leaky bathtub, he said. We didn't design it that way, but that is exactly where we found ourselves. As everybody else starts to tumble a little bit backwards, we will start marching forwards. Eli Lilly's Chief Science and Medical Officer and President of Lilly Research Laboratories, Daniel Skowronski, also talked about being in a strong position regarding deals. I think it's hard for any company to create value through business development by being the top bidder on obvious assets, but yet many companies are in a position where they have to be the top bidder on obvious assets. I don't think that's going to be our strategy. We have to see value where others don't or take risk by going earlier. We don't need things that are launching next year that are going to drive our revenue or fill a revenue gap. Roche's global head of pharma partnering, James Sabri, said, We will start to evaluate this year other therapeutic areas that we historically may not have a footprint in right now, but we are curious. The technology is getting so rich for identification of new medicines and new technologies that we'd like to look at more broadly, and so you'll start to see this with us this year. The article has other quotes and takeaways, so do check it out for those. Novartis has unveiled a new business strategy that prioritises the US market over other geographies, a decision that will impact everything from the way the company develops drugs to the way it sells them. US Innovative Medicines President Victor Bulto is leading the US first effort and talked to Scripps' Jessica Merrill at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference about the company's ambitious new plan and commercial structure. As Bulto describes it, the new strategy was born out of Novartis' decision last year to spin off the generic drug business Sandoz, positioning the company as a pure-play, innovative pharma company for the first time. As the management team began forming a growth strategy for a smaller Novartis, two key themes emerged – portfolio focus and geographic focus. We used to play across 10 to 12 therapeutic areas and we used to treat most countries across the globe more or less the same, Bulto said. One of the strengths we have is our global footprint, 
but that came at the detriment of focus on the portfolio and the US. CEO Vas Narasimhan outlined the company's goal to grow from being the 10th biggest pharma company in the US market to the 5th by 2027 during an investor meeting last year. Strength in the US market remains critical to a pharma company's general success because despite increasing pressure on drug pricing, the US remains the largest and one of the fastest growing pharma drug markets. One big change the company has already made was to eliminate some of the roles it viewed as being duplicate as a result of having oncology and traditional pharma products overseen through separate organisations. The company announced last year it would eliminate 8,000 roles globally over three years as a result of the restructuring into a new operating model. As a pure play company, it didn't make sense anymore to have a pharma and oncology organisation with double structures. So that's where the cutbacks have been, Bulto explained. To double down in the US, Novartis plans to change the way it operates all aspects of its business, from research to commercialization. When it comes to R&D, Bulto said, the company will keep the US market front and centre as it brings new drugs forward. Bess has made very clear that it is winning in the US first, and then we will look at how we make that work for other countries. For the past 20 years, major Japanese firm Chugai Pharmaceutical has been a source of globally successful antibodies, including Hemlibra for haemophilia and immunosuppressant Actemra. The global partnership with parent Roche Holdings since 2002 has clearly helped the path to stable business growth, while allowing continuous investment into R&D and providing a path for both global development and the in-licensing of novel new products. The current president and CEO of Chugai, Dr. Osamu Okuda, is one of the people to have witnessed how the strategic arm's-length partnership has flourished and nourished Chugai's pipeline. Intent on maintaining a flexible approach to R&D, Okuda also appears highly motivated to drive digital strategy, already visible at a recently opened R&D site in Totsuka, in Japan. In an exclusive interview with Lisa Takagi at Chugai's headquarters in Tokyo, Scrip asked the executive what drives his intentions and how the firm's R&D strategy has unfolded over the past 20 years since the Roche strategic partnership was signed. Okuda said he expects Chugai's fiscal year, which ends on 31st December, will see performance as expected, with 1.15 trillion yen in revenue. One of the keys to the resilient figures, despite the global uncertainties, was the alliance with its Swiss partner, which Okuda has witnessed unfold during his long career. Describing the alliance as win-win, in his view, its greatest achievement so far has been that it enabled four drugs from Chugai to be delivered to patients around the world. The tie-up has also enabled Chugai to deliver 20 products from Roche to the Japanese market. For the Japanese firm, this means it has been able to enhance its domestic pipeline in disease areas of focus for Roche, notably oncology, ophthalmology and neuroscience. The challenge now for both firms, Okuda said, lies in finding this competitive advantage in ever-varied modalities, including gene, nucleic acid and cell therapies, regenerative medicines and digital therapeutics. Throughout the partnership, Chugai has maintained a broadly flexible approach to R&D, 
under which it does not determine any disease or technology areas to solely focus on. We rather focus on creating innovation by our unique approach, meaning we can create drugs targeting various diseases, explained Okuda. The chief executive also noted the firm's emphasis on mid-molecule drugs. With a tech-driven approach, we will broaden this technology further, including low-molecule, mid-molecule antibodies and so on. The CEO also talks in the interview about the firm's digital vision and the state of real-world data in Japan. In the latest instalment of the annual Script Asks series, Eleanor Malone looks in part four at the pricing and reimbursement environment and challenges for the industry this year, presenting the views of multiple biopharma executives and experts who commented on this topic. With the US Inflation Reduction Act threatening a major shakeup in drug pricing from 2023 onwards, and with the progress of increasing numbers of costly advanced therapeutics onto the market, one thing is sure. Pricing and reimbursement will remain critical issues this year. Several leaders identified value-based pricing as a nettle that must be grasped. They shared their thoughts about the way that value should be measured for different types of drug, whether that be relatively cheap products for large patient groups, higher-priced medicines targeting common indications, or complex technologies like cell and gene therapies addressing rare diseases. Others warned of the upheaval in portfolio strategy that we are already hearing the early rumblings of, particularly among big pharma companies, as they attempt to steer a future path that accounts for the new rules for drug price negotiation in the US Medicare system. 2023 is going to be about understanding the IRA, predicted Eduardo Schur, EY's US Health Sciences and Wellness Commercial Strategy and R&D lead. The Inflation Reduction Act, introduced in the US in 2022, will come into effect in September 2023, from when the government will be allowed to start negotiating prices for certain drugs in Medicare. Small molecules will become eligible for price negotiation nine years after approval, while it will be 13 years from approval for biologics. Price control will not take effect until 2026, however, and then only for 10 of the highest-cost Medicare Part D drugs. There is going to be a calibration of R&D pipelines. The criteria for advancing assets have to be refreshed, and an assessment of the viability of clinical investments and reprioritization of indications has to happen, sure told Scrip. On value-based pricing, calls for progress and alignment between payers and manufacturers are only increasing as therapeutic innovation becomes more complex and costly. We are in an era where much of the life sciences sector's growth is coming from specialty drugs that are high cost, target rare diseases and are complex to administer, noted Jody Staggs, who's president and interim CEO of specialised finance company SWK Holdings. The article also looks at multiple other key pricing and reimbursement topics, including accessibility and affordability, new models and advanced therapies. So do check it out in full for all the details. Finally, after the COVID-19 pandemic-induced rush into biopharma investing seen during 2020 and 2021, 
Last year saw a big drop-off in investment into the sector, new data show. The total number of financing deals, excluding M&A and licensing deals, more than doubled in 2020 and hit a peak of 1,426 the following year, but it dropped back to 1,089 in 2022, according to Sightline's Biomed Tracker. In dollar terms, the value of all disclosed deals hit $73 billion in 2022, around half that of the preceding year, and around the same total achieved in pre-pandemic 2019, Andrew McConaughey writes. Beneath these top-line figures, the data show a clear drop-off in both early-stage venture capital and follow-on financings, although there remained many big deals sealed in both arenas in 2022. A total of 381 VC deals were struck last year, well below the 595 seen the year before, and below the 483 agreed in 2019, although this figure was still high in longer-term historical terms. So what are the reasons behind the contraction? Biotech VC leaders point to the big macroeconomic drivers that turned the US and global economic outlook cold in 2022 as the biggest breaks on investment, namely inflation rates at almost 40-year highs and the risk of rising interest rates, plus geopolitical factors such as China's economic slowdown and the war in Ukraine. These caused investors to take a much more conservative approach in 2022, not just in biotech, but across many growth sectors, including tech. Nevertheless, there were still some eye-catching large VC deals last year, though January 2022's $3 billion fundraising for Altos Labs was an anomaly, dwarfing the next biggest pure-play biopharma fundraising from Aratea Therapeutics, which raised $350 million. The most concerning portent for 2023 was the final quarter of last year, the quietest of the year. The three months saw just 69 deals made, less than half the tally seen in Q1. Another notable trend was a decline in the so-called crossover rounds, where new public investors come on board ahead of an anticipated IPO. The overall outlook looks unlikely to change in the near future which means that many private and publicly listed companies will feel the squeeze even more in 2023. That pressure is increased by a huge rise in the overall cash burn rates of R&D stage loss-making public biotech companies. Last year already saw a wave of companies trim their headcounts and pipelines in order to extend their cash runways, but many more will need new funding injections to keep afloat in 2023. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. A reminder that these articles in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and form just a fraction of those published by Scripps Global Team last week. They are available to subscribers upon login or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.